Next, on MacGyver. I got this. Get out of here, junkie. Guns don't kill people. People do. Is that anything like hydrogen bombs don't kill people? It's the people who set them off. Rudy! You all right, man? That gun is your only chance. I do not hand breathless to the man. Freeze! It's me! They think I shot a cop, MacGyver. Get out of the way! He's got a gun! No! He does not have a gun! Hi, how are you guys doing? It's Charles Andrew Payne. You might know me as uh, Breeze from MacGyver, and you are listening to the MacGyver Podcast with Matt Jackson. Hi, I'm Richard Dean Anderson. My name's MacGyver. Colonel Jack O'Neill, SG-1. My name is Pratt, Ernest Pratt. I always get a happy, tingly feeling when I see those guys. Name one contract that I failed to execute. MacGyver. Oh, here we go. You're a target. And I don't intend to miss. Over my rotting corpse. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Glowing eyes, cliche behavior, evilness, that kind of thing. Is mental illness contagious? You think? You can do anything you want to do if you put your mind... Well, you do have a penchant for pulling brilliant ideas out of your butt. Head. Out of your head, when we need them. Oh, the stuff's already here, I just find a different way to use it. I like your attitude. Permission to take a team through the Stargate, sir. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the MacGyver Podcast. The podcast of all you love in MacGyver, SG-1, Anything where you're creative and celebrating the life and career of Richard Dean Anderson and all his shows. Uh, Today, I'm lucky enough to have Charles Andrew Payne on, who I know from a lot of things, uh, Dead Zone, Highlander, a couple appearances in Stargate SG-1, but everybody, I knew him first from MacGyver as Breeze. So here he is. Hi. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course. Um, So lots to chat about. And, you know, there's no rule here. So we're just shooting the breeze, coincidentally. (laughs) Uh, Did not plan that at all. (laughs) Didn't plan that at all. You didn't stay up late at night, right? I swear to God. (laughs) Right before it came out of my lips, I said, you know, should I continue talking? Yeah, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Why not? (laughs) I just watched... Coincidentally, um, not in preparation because I've mm-hmm. seen these episodes a trillion times, so I can recite them. But I happen to watch the gun episode, mm-hmm. and One of my favorites. Yeah, well, it's it's a heck of an episode. As I gotta say, all of your episodes have been. You have been in critical episodes like you're not just the guy off to the side you know there's there's a rhythm to episodic tv and it's wonderful and if they do it right it's a wonderful comfort you always are you always know the rhythm but in the episodes that you've been in starting with the challenge i believe Mm -hmm. uh those are meaty uh, gut punch episodes 
I mean, there's that, there's the Madonna, obviously the gun. Yeah. Uh, They're really, they take a step off to the side and dive into the character's psyche much deeper Mm -hmm. than, you know. And as I'm watching the gun, it dawned on me, you know, Breeze has an arc. Not a one-note character. Like, it starts off in the challenge, he's a gang member. Mm-hmm. You know, that's – you kind of take for granted the fact that certain characters you recognize, you, you're comfortable with. So you go, yeah, it makes sense they'd be at the Challengers Club. But your character grew. And that's something for not even being the title character of a show. You know what? Um, <clears throat> let me give you a little back background for context. Yeah, yeah. Breeze is supposed to be one of. Um, I auditioned for that for MacGyver four different times, four different characters. Got Breeze. It was a fantastic um, opening. And, you know, that was uh, back, you know, um, you might, you know, the other character on there that you – you know, everybody knows now is Cuba Gooding Jr. That's sure. when we that's when we met. Mm-hmm. And Breeze was a one-off because it was supposed to be, you know, kind of like a, a feeder for Cuba's character. Um, Cuba's the good kid, and he's the archetypal of the good kid. And, mm-hmm. you know, he used to be a former gang member, and Breeze is a diehard gang member, right? Leader of the gang. Mm-hmm. And the writer pulled me aside after about the fourth day of filming and he says, you know, what you're doing with this character, we have to see his life. We have to learn a little bit more about him. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And that's how it kind of evolved. And then they they would, they would do the, the challenger series, you know, of episodes where, you know, they would talk about the kids and MacGyver would volunteer there and, and, and but the story wouldn't be about MacGyver as much as it would be about the kids volunteering and helping out and also how the people who run the, 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 the boys and girls club, the challenger club and their interactions. They, I usually think they, they had, they had enough material that they could have spun that off into a standalone series. Without if they a wanted. doubt. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it was, you know, an absolute thrill to get to do that. Mm-hmm. and be part of that and then you know they say oh yeah we're, we're bringing you back for a couple more episodes and every episode you went whoa like wow this <laughs> right yeah this is a, this is a meat and potatoes you know things you can sink your teeth into so yeah, well i'm we <laughs> i'll tell you uh i had the writers on mm-hmm. um and they were sharing some insight because like the madonna episode yeah uh you got a heck, I mean, your your character is quite mouthy. <laughs> we watch it. See, we watch it every year, and it's like a Christmas tradition now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just because you know. And it's not overly Christmas, but I wouldn't mind it had it been. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that type of, um, you know. I, some shows I wish they had done more Christmas episodes. I would have liked another MacGyver Christmas episode mm-hmm. because that's very heavy for him dealing with, you know, talking about his mother. And, but at the same time, Breeze, he's not having a good time either. No, it's a, trans, it's a big transition for him because he's literally walked away from being a gang leader 
and he's still trying to find his own path and then all this heavy emotional stuff comes up and that was yeah that was a hard episode for me as well because it, it really resonated at home yeah know? and and some of those great great scenes like that pool hall scene yes <laughs> right yeah that a lot of that dialogue just you know you 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 they would say cut and at the end of that day filming that was pool hall scene i went home just feeling exhausted just feeling emotionally emotionally drained, drained. Yeah, yeah, I'll right. tell you because Rick Drew was on and we were talking about it and we both in the discussion and we're not watching it, we're talking mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. We both got filled up. Yeah. Like I'm looking at a grown man and he's looking at me and we're, we got the tears here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm showing it to my kids, you know, 11 and 8 and they know, oh, it's Christmas time. We got to watch the Madonna. Yep. And, and I swear – we still get choked up because the pool mm -hmm. hall scene, even the harshness of, <laughs> of mm -hmm. Breeze telling Cynthia, back off, woman. Yeah, exactly. That cracks it's, me up because I'm like, ooh. Yes, and that, that, that line, that line in the pool hall when she, you know, he says to her, you know, the only thing my father ever gave me was the back of his hand. I was just like, whoa, okay. That, op that opens a whole little bit of, of room as to who he is, where he came from, what his history was like, why he, you know, was on the streets as a gang leader and why he was so tough on it, on his people and why he's having a hard time with authority when he has to talk to Cynthia. That's right. You know, <laughs> and then the, you know, he's in a safe space, but mm -hmm. still resists. Like, I don't, yeah. I may have, you know, MacGyver, I may know you and I'm going to talk to you, but I'm not really sharing with anybody. Yeah. And, and I don't need, I don't need, I don't need, down. and I don't need parents. And yeah, so, Cynthia, you know, back off of me. I'm doing what I, I'm. I'm doing what you told me to, but I may not be doing it at the pace that you want. But you need to chill. <laughs> yeah. And for me, as as an actor, you know, people would say to me, "But you're you played this guy, and he's so mean, and he's and he's he's so recalcitrant, and, and that's not you." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's called it's acting." Acting. <laughs> <laughs> but it still had to come from somewhere, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. yeah no, no. And then the moment when he goes in and says to Cynthia, you know, I didn't know what to get you. So I thought this attitude was a nice mm -hmm. start. Yes. Boom. Right there. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, you know, it's, it's when you, you have to applaud writers for giving you good material. Cause you know, we don't always get good, nice material that makes you shows your humanity Right. And a range yeah. of emotions. That's what for me. Yeah. Those. Yeah. Every that's, all of those experiences. <laughs> and that's one of those things about MacGyver that is timeless is they're sending a message and they're getting into the dark guts of the world. But at no point do you feel like they're standing on a soapbox preaching. No. Nope. Right. It, there's a, it's a delicate balance. I mean, I know writing and acting myself, and it's very easy to just go too much with hammering or ham-fisting the message. Yeah. And, you know, Harry Chapin always said with his writing, he couldn't say it directly. He had mm -hmm. to tell a story and let you come around on your own. And that's the best writing there is. I'm a writer myself, and that's the best writing it is. Is that, And I don't like when you watch a show or a movie and they direct you 
to where they want you to go. I want you to tell the story and let me walk away from it and take away from it what I got from it. And then it, it makes it, to me, it's, it's an excellent episode of a TV show or an excellent movie. If I finish it and I go, man, I need to sit down and talk to somebody about this. I need to sit down and, you know, tell me what you saw and, and we can have a dialogue and have some discourse and exchange. Now, that's good writing. If you tie it all up in a nice bow at the end of this and tell me, here, this is what you're supposed to think and feel and walk away Thank you very much. No, I'm good. <laughs> Have you noticed that in the last, I don't know, we'll say five to ten years, it seems like certain popular shows tend to tell you, you need to know that these two guys are best friends and you need to know, you know, they, mm -hmm. they basically come out and tell you how you should feel. It's right by numbers. Right. And you're like, yeah. don't, I'm not a cow. Treat me like <laughs> a smart human being and I'll get there on my own. I'm capable of int intelligent thought. I'm capable of critical thinking, which, by the way, I think is severely lacking in our modern culture. But we won't right? that rabbit hole. But no, anyway. I, I know, <laughs> I know. I, I have to, I have to stop myself a lot of times too. Yes, but, but um, telling I, a good story is key, and telling a story arc with characters that that grow and develop and and have an opinion that not, may not always be a popular opinion but at least gives you another perspective another way to look at things i'm and then i'm in yeah <laughs> right agreed and yeah. it's it's so hard to come by and when you get it you grab onto that show mm -hmm. and you know like i need to support this and watch this and praise it and you know Yes. It's like what I always say about social media. The whole point of this podcast and anything else that I do, it's not about me. It's about pushing the good, celebrating, mm -hmm. you know, the inspiration. Mm -hmm. And I hope I'm pushing the good as much as I possibly can while I'm here. You know what I mean? Yes. Well, yeah. I'm hoping that you are too because it's, it's that very much needed. I know, I know. Oh. Right, right now, very uh, much needed. Right, now. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I, I pray November is. You know, I said to to my wife, you know, in November I'm gonna cry. One of, I'm gonna cry anyway. It's just a matter of why. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Either it's out of celebration or it's oh God no. So yeah, but you know, the thing is this: it doesn't matter who you know is in charge at the end of the day as much as it is who you are as an individual, right. what you do to push the change forward. You know, America's, America's one way. Every country has its issues. And if you go from a micro, you know, me, my immediate family, my, my friends, and then the macro, my, my community, my culture, my country, there's a lot of work that needs to be done, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of... And again, as storytellers, we are so fortunate to be storytellers, as whether as a writer or as an actor. I just consider myself, you know, being being able to be part of create an integral part of creation, be part of the creative process. Mm -hmm. It is our job to reflect back and say, hey, there's another way to look at it. You know, as you probably know, I'm also a stand-up comedian. I do a lot of com comedy shows. And I always say, you know, it's my job to educate while I entertain. As an actor, it's my job to educate while I entertain. And it's not to hit you on the head with it, but it's to say, have you looked at it from this perspective? Yeah. Here's another way to look at it, right? Yeah. And we need those voices now more than ever because the truth is being 
hidden yeah. from us. Yeah. The, 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 the people who are supposed to be leading with integrity and with, with the leadership is not about being out in front, giving direction. Leadership is about showing how and being a servant to the people. And, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see that happening. So I can't rely on those people to do it, but I have to take it upon myself to show leadership at a micro level to my family, my wife and my to my kids, at the macro level to the people that I encounter on a day-to-day basis, and hope, I'm hoping, through osmosis, <laughs> right? <laughs> people go, oh, there's another way to look at it. And I'm not saying that your idea is wrong, but right now we are severely lacking in civil discourse. Even just having the conversation <laughs> is so important. Yeah. yeah I'm, I know. I we're, know because yeah. nobody wants to have it. Everybody, everybody had, you know, we we are living in a culture of experts. <laughs> right, right. Everybody right. has graduated from the, you know, University of Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And like, and every, yeah. it's ripples yeah. in the water, like you said, with our children. Like, I try to do the same, and I'm so proud when I watch them, when they don't know I'm watching them, but I watch how they interact with other people. Mm-hmm. And you watch how they be. I always teach my kids be leaders, not mm-hmm. followers, because mm-hmm. it's the truth. And it doesn't mean that you have to be bossy. It means first and foremost, know yourself, mm-hmm. know your strengths, know your weaknesses, know when to speak up, know when to keep your mouth shut and be in control of you. And yeah. don't worry so much about you know, in their case, their classmate or whatever, because they'll come home with stories and tell me, oh, this kid in class today, I'm like, "Mm, Mm -hmm. that's his problem. Don't take his problem on to yourself. Yes. And sure enough, I'm telling you, through the years, I watch him. My son is the older of the two. They flock to him. Mm -hmm. They're originally, you know, doing their own thing and and it could be something minor like bad-mouthing what was popular yesterday. You know how kids mm-hmm. do that? Yes. I loved yes. it yesterday, but today apparently it's cooler to say that's lame. Mm-hmm. Well, he sticks to his guns, and then those kids respect him, and now go, oh, I see what you're talking about. Just what you said. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about it, and I will explain my side, and then you're, you can make your own decision. Yes. I tell, I tell my, my children, you know, to circle back, two things. You know, we can't all we can't all be sheep. Someone has to step up and be the shepherd. So that's rule one. That's a good line, <laughs> right? Yeah. The second thing is that start with the assumption that what you know and what you think you know might be wrong. Mm-hmm. So if you start from there, then you're open and receptive to learning other things. But if you absolutely believe hunt, that the 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 concept, the idea that you have is the one and you are hanging on so tight you're not open to hearing anybody else's point of view everybody else has to come around to your point of view mm-hmm. but if you start with hey you know what i think i know this but i could be wrong so tell me what you see tell me how you experience it and i'm open to listening i'm opening to take that in i'm opening to go hey i never thought of it that way before and that makes sense right or i'll hear what you have to say and i say you know what i celebrate your right to have that opinion and view i don't agree with it necessarily but on your way. <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. I found there's a motto that tends to, when you think about it, it's give, forgive, and be humble. Mm-hmm. Everything in your life touches on those. 
If you think about it, everything, either, you know, people, situations, one of those three words. Yeah. And humble is a big one. Not enough people are humble. Oh, yes. I just say, you know, but first, first seek to do no harm. Mm-hmm. If you start with your intention that way, seek to do no harm. Mm-hmm. That's a good place to start. Yeah, right? exactly. And again, and be humble. I mean, again, wow. I, I feel extraordinarily blessed to live the life that I live. I feel extraordinarily blessed to do, to do what I do. And like I said, you know, every day that I get to write, perform, I get to participate in creation. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? Wow. If you cannot be awed by that, you know, and I show up and people are like, man, you, why, you seem so happy. I'm like, first of all, I'm a Canadian entertainer. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that I get to work. Yeah. is a joy to begin with. <laughs> yeah. And then I get the opportunity to bring things to life, whether it be material that I wrote or somebody else wrote. The fact that I get to perform and, and bring joy and people, it resonates with people and they want to they talk to you about it. They want to be engaged with it. What a gift. Right. How blessed. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I've lived a charmed and blessed life. <laughs> Everybody that I've ever met who's in the entertainment world uh, through either working with them or meeting them socially. I can honestly say, and this goes for, in particular, MacGyver and Stargate mm-hmm. folk, they're all cut from the same cloth where they're all, like you said, your priorities are straight. Why would you not be good to people? Mm-hmm. You, you know, you're, you're lucky. I, it drives me nuts, not that I've had many exposure to it, but when you see an actor or an entertainer that decides to be a rude, arrogant SOB. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get that. Like, wait a minute. This can go away like that. Well, let me tell you a story about this because I've been acting since I was 12. I'll be 54 in November. Hmm. I've been doing this for some time. And I, I'll be honest with you, the entertainment industry terrifies me. The, mm-hmm. artifi- the artifice of it can be overwhelming and terrifying. But I was just coming up. I was new, green as grass. And I was out having lunch with my manager at the time and someone recognized me. And of course, I, that scared me. And so <laughs> and she said, you know, and they said, oh, aren't you? And I said, no, I'm not. And so they laughed and my manager looked at me and then Doc Bristow, my manager at the time, she looked at me and she said, Charles, breathe in next time that happens. Say, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Breathe out and move on. She mm-hmm. says, you are fortunate to get to do what you do, but more importantly, you get to do what you do because they like what you do. <laughs> <laughs> right? And to it hurts no one for you to take a moment and say thank you. Mm-hmm. And then I was a young teenage boy, and you know, that lesson stuck with me. Hmm. Right? That it hurts no one to take a moment, show some gratitude, because they could, as much as they love you today, they can turn on you tomorrow and hate you tomorrow, and you're gonna you're gonna long for these moments where somebody actually recognizes you for you, right? Right. Coincidentally, as I've gotten much older, no one recognizes me for me. I get mistaken for that other guy, Samuel L. Jackson, all the time. <laughs> Are you seriously? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do you hear the cursing coming out of my mouth? I'm not him. <laughs> Wow, isn't that funny? Yeah. So now when people are like, hey, aren't you? I'm like, oh, here it comes. And 
Are you breeze? <laughs> yes, I'm breeze. Holy crap! Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's why when I when I saw you on social media, I'm like, oh, I'm familiar with a lot of what he does besides breeze, yep. and I'm glad you're on here. Let me, you know, let me be yep. friends with him. Yeah. So. But um, how old are your kids? Um, I have an 18 year old and a one who will be 13 in December. Hmm. Yeah. Both so. boys or? Yeah, two boys. Ah. Two boys. I have yeah. a boy and a girl. Oh, and how old? Uh, Mikey's 11 and Everly is eight. Oh, wow. So they're yeah. still, yes. But I'll tell you, they're, they're wise beyond their years. They're mm-hmm. very mature. They'll have conversations with adults. And then the, you know, they'll come over to me and go, how old are they? Mm-hmm. Wow, mm-hmm. that was the deepest conversation I've had. And, you know, yes. and I'm like, okay, winning. That's, yes. that's a good thing. Well, I, I tell them both all the time, you know, that when I grow up, I want to be them. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> because my, especially my, my, my soon-to-be 13-year-old, he's probably one of the coolest cats I've ever met. He's an entertainer as well. He's a, a competitive dancer. He's a singer. He's an actor. Um, but that kid, for as long as I can remember, you would say something, and, man, that's fantastic. He goes, he just looks, he goes, I'm just Kale. That's his name, right? Um, and and I, so I say to him, you know, man, I, when I grow up, I want to be as cool as you. I want to be as grounded and aware and self-aware as you are. Mm-hmm. Like, you're my, you're my hero. You're my idol because he's so brave, mm-hmm. particularly the fact that him being a competitive dancer and a boy, you know, mm-hmm. where there's it's like 95% girls and, and a few him and his dance studio, there's like three boys. And he's been dancing since he's four, but he's brave and he's fearless when he gets on stage. And mm-hmm. I look at him and I'm like, to see him dance, I cry every time I watch him dance mm-hmm. because he's so talented, but also because he's so brave. I mean, not a lot of boys are out there being, you know, doing ballet and, and jazz and tap and all of that and fearless. And other boys are like, you know, might, might want to make fun of him. And he just kind of looks, he goes, don't care i just do what i want to do <laughs> that's wonderful and i'm like dude i you, you are my hero so i want ahead of you. the curve yeah. <laughs> yeah because that's the worst thing is the peer pressure and the teasing or whatever mm-hmm. like my son last year decided that he was going to act in the school play mm-hmm. and that's voluntary he didn't have to and i thought ooh okay mm-hmm. Um, this could be good. This could be very good, but he's also a child and he's going to learn some lessons. I think he's going to be in front of people. He might get stage fright. He might overact. He may, you know, Mm -hmm. read his line as opposed to say it. Yeah. Well, I'm not bragging when I say this, I'll never forget it. Tears because I'm watching him and he's so natural. He Mm -hmm. didn't overact. But yet you're on stage. Stage is different, as you know, than film. Yeah. Yep. Like I, when you do film, I've done film, and you don't have to emphasize your expression. Nope. But on stage, you got to do it a little bigger. He did it. And it wasn't – everybody else paled in comparison. I just – I thought I want to watch him for the – and I did, obviously. He's my kid. But for the whole two hours, I just watched him, whether he had a line or not, and you could see the glow of being in the moment. He wasn't like a kid his age, you figure, unless it's my line, I don't really need to pay attention to the scene. Mm. But he did. He was in it, and he would react. And, you know, the little gestures. And then when he had a line, it didn't feel like 
here's my, you know, reading. Yeah, here's my, everybody else has stopped talking. Oh, it must be my turn. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and he did some ad lib stuff on stage that I was like. Well, half of it is um, that that means he's got some natural instincts because I've, I've taught acting to kids as well. And one of the first things I do is I will give them a paragraph to read. I give them all the exact same paragraph to read. Mm-hmm. They get five minutes to go outside, come back in the room and read me the paragraph. And that's how I know whether you have it or not. Because acting, I do not believe, can be taught. Mm. You either have it or you don't. And then you can finesse it and, mm. and improve upon it. But some kids would just come in and they just read the lines. Okay, that's great. And other kids would come in and they'd be like, well, they give it a, vo- a different character or they give it a, a different accent. And I'm like, there's no instructions. It's just a paragraph. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I'm like, so why did you? Th- oh, because when I read it, that's what came to me. Nice. Uh, See, I can work with that. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's how I, that's part of my process. When I first get a script, or, you know, even if it's for an audition, or I literally sit down with a pen next to me, pen and paper. And as I read, whatever thoughts come to my head as I'm reading is what mm-hmm. I write down. That's the foundational piece. That's how I get to build, you know, and some mm-hmm. stuff just organically comes to you. Yeah, I love when oh, that happens. I love that this line has to be delivered this way. And then you find some nuggets sometimes where it's like it's written serious, but you're reading it and you, you start laughing. You're like, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh here, but let's make a note of that because that's yeah. funny to me. And then you show up and the, the writer goes, you got it. That was my intention. Yeah. Nobody else got that. I think that's funny. <laughs> right? And I'm like, yeah, I thought it was funny too. I, I... <laughs> right? I've written things one way and performed them a different way. Mm-hmm. Because in the moment, based on the previous lines, like, ooh, that wouldn't fit the way it was written. Yeah. Let me, well, you, gotta, you know. Got to organically let it come out. Like you, so when you're saying that, you know, you, and for me, the, the, the hardest part of acting, actors are always like, how many lines do I have? For, for me, it's what's, in the, what's the scene about? Mm-hmm. Because, and it, it's interesting, um, why I'm drawing a blank right now, though, in the Madonna, the lady mm-hmm. who played the Madonna, whose name escapes me right now. Oh, the actress? Yeah, the actress. She was, um, wasn't it her name Carol? Yeah. The, the character's name was Carol. <laughs> yeah. But um, she said to me, great bit of acting advice. You can steal a scene as an actor, she says, even if you don't have lines in it. Give the editor something to work with. Be present and aware oh. and respond. Jeanette says, Nolan. Thank you, Jeanette Nolan. I was, it was, I was cycling through my role. I know, I'm with I was you. talking. Jeanette Nolan. And so she says to me, and she was a wonderful, oh, wonderful, wonderful woman. You know, yeah. great, full of advice and had been in the game for so Very long. Very sweet. Yes. And for a guy, young guy just coming up, you know, I still, I still considered myself green as grass, just coming up, finding my way in this industry. And she's, when she said that to me, she goes, <clears throat> she goes, Actors forget. Sometimes you can see them waiting for their, their moment so they can say their line. She goes, if you're actually listening and responding before you even open your mouth, you give the editor something to work with. And then when you're actually watching the movie, sometimes you'll see the other actors talking. They have a lot of dialogue, but who is the editor gone to? It's the person who's given me the response. Mm-hmm. Right? That, she says, is acting. The other yeah. stuff is just, is just walking, talking, and chewing gum. Acting is being in the moment and listening actively listening, taking in information, and responding as a human being, mm-hmm. and giving the editor something to work with, or else it's two talking heads. 
And I was like, yeah. And then so, you know, you kind of learn to do that. And yeah, I, I've been notorious for, you know, first of all, I'm a Canadian actor based out of Canada. We don't always get all the big roles to try out for. Sometimes what the scenes that we get, you know, are expository. How do you make some meat and potatoes out of an expository scene? By being an active listener, being present in the scene, mm-hmm. given, and giving the editor something to work with. And then yeah. lo and behold, you may have only had five lines, but guess who dominated the scenes? You. <laughs> yeah. <'Cause, laughs> there's some there's some actors, Richard Dean Anderson included, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like David Tennant. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, the other day, I was just talking about that. I said, you know, David Tennant, Richard Dean Anderson, uh, and I named a couple others. I said, it doesn't matter what they're in. Or if they have a line, I'm watching them because they're so much fun to watch. watch. The other person's, you know, having their whole dialogue. Well, you know, uh, yeah. Carter in particular on SG-1. Will ha- or Daniel will have this big, long dialogue to explain the research. Mm-hmm. But I wait for those scenes to see him because he's not overacting, but he is reacting. Yeah. Like, that's Listen. fun. That's what makes a that's- fun character. Yep. And your eyes drawn to those people and you're like, oh, you know, you're not saying anything, but you're saying a whole lot mm-hmm. in that scene without having any dialogue. And that to me, that's fantastic. That's, yeah, that's a gift for the actor. It's a gift for the editor. It's also a gift for the writer because you're now taking something that's literally black and white on the page and bringing it to full color. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, right. and see, and you get that. I love that you get that. One of the reasons I couldn't wait to talk to you because I knew that you got that. And I knew that you're not just saying a line. You're feeling everything that you mm-hmm. do. I mean, to be a writer too, you know, it's in your guts. You're, it's, a, it's a vocation. Mm-hmm. So many people don't necessarily get that. They just wait for their line. They go, look, I'm in a movie. <laughs> you know what oh. I mean? You're in a seed. I've met a couple people who I'm going, how do you have a career? How do you have role after role when not only do you not get it, but you don't care about the craft about it, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, it's about the craft. It's not about the ego. It's about the craft. It's about, you know, I keep saying it's about the fact that you get to participate in creativity. You get to bring word, take words off the page and bring it to life and it's a lot of fun. Oh, and hey, they're going to pay you to do it too. They bonus. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and you're essentially around forever because mm-hmm. your episodes in whatever yes. will be shown forever. Yes. That's a nice feeling too. That's and a nice it, sense of immortality. It's immortality. But also, depending on, on the show, like, like, like a MacGyver, that, that show has legs. It has staying power because, you know, particularly like – most relevant right now, the gun episode. Right. You rewatch that now and, and compare and contrast to what's happening in the world today. You're like, man, is that episode on point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And the challenge. The yeah, challenge, the challenge is another thing. one where they're like, you know, I hate him because he's black. Like, no. Yeah, that, is that episode ever on point again? Yeah. <laughs> right? And still relevant today, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> but still relevant. Still a story that you can point to somebody and say, you know what? There's history attached to this. Yeah. Look, if you watch this show, I mean, it's it's from a number of years ago. But if you were to even like fast forward that to the to, to today's time period, mm-hmm. that's still relevant. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it's yeah. still trying to get the message across. 
Wow. And it starts <laughs> conversation like in our house, you know, my wife and I will say, watch the gun with the kids. And, and we look at each other and even Mikey, my son will go, wow, that's just like what happened on the news. With And then I'll pause it and I'll say, yeah. 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 And then it becomes this 45 minute conversation before we continue the episode. Yeah. Where you're like, and it, it's, it's, again, it brings forth conversation, it brings forth discourse, and I can't stress that enough how important that is right now that we have conversations, that we, we don't all sit quietly and go, you know, this is so big, it's so overwhelming, there's nothing I can do to bring about some change. Right. No. 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 <laughs> right? Like ripples and, in the water. And don't talk to people just on social media because social media gives you mm. that uh, anonymity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where everybody's an expert, and mm-hmm. if I can hide behind my keyboard, I can throw it out there like tossing a grenade in a room and step back to see what happens. No, no, you need to talk to people in real life. Yeah. You talk to yeah. people, we'll look them in the eye and talk one-on-one and, and, and say, hey, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Are you thinking the same? Here's what I'm seeing. Are you seeing the same? If you're seeing it differently, please explain to me why you're seeing it differently. Mm-hmm. And I'm open to, I'm receptive to hearing yeah. your opinion, your point of view, because I'm starting from the position that what I think I know and what I may actively 100% believe in may not be right. Mm-hmm. And when I explain that to my children, I say, you know, um, here's a concept, right? Once upon a time, we thought the world was flat. And people would tell those people who that said, no, it's not. And they want to get on a ship and go to and go explore. And you're crazy. But if those people hadn't, if they someone hadn't said, hey, what if there's a different way of looking at this? Hey, what if, right? Most of our evolution as human beings came because somebody said, what if? <laughs> right? Exactly. Somebody you had know? to try something. Yeah. We can't all be sheep. Somebody has to stand up and say, I will be the shepherd. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something because with the episode, The Gun, back mm-hmm. to Breeze's arc, yeah. at that point, Breeze is going to the, the boys club for an Earth Day thing mm-hmm. and sees his friend – and runs over to say, what's going on? How can I help? And because of that, you know, the cops think he's the guy. Yeah. And that could have right. ended really, really bad. They were about yes. to charge in the door, guns a-blazing for a kid who didn't have a weapon at all. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, but or, trying to do good, too. Yeah. Good intentions, right? It's so true to life, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Oh, you yes. Know, yeah. And the whole, the whole conversation where Breeze gets bailed out and they take him to the gun factory mm-hmm. and MacGyver goes in to get him and they kind of start a little debate. But the way that it happens, I've always admired because, you know, it's a sore spot for MacGyver too, obviously. Mm-hmm. And when he goes, you know, yeah, I'm one of those, you know, like he's kind of proud of it. Yeah, I have a problem with people getting shot in their homes or on the street, you know, political candidates like that. Yeah. That's knowledgeable debating. And I remember, mm-hmm. you know, this is back in 91 and I'm 45 now. So watching this, I learned a lot of my – um ability to debate through MacGyver, for example, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's not just having an opposing opinion, it's being knowledgeable, but knowing when to just let it go. Like, we're not going to get yep. any further with this, you know, and that was one of those scenes where 
it's a touchy subject. I'm not going to say you're all right, but we do just want to go. But I also want you to know you're wrong. Like that, you know yeah. what? I want you to know that in my, my opinion is this. My point of view is this. My perspective is that I don't agree with you yeah. on that. But I'm not going to beat you over the head with the fact that I don't agree with it. Right? right. I'm just going to put that out there, food for thought. And that's kind of how I saw that, right? It's yeah. food for thought. And it, for me, it also made me think, you know, well, what is my opinion on that? Not me as a character, but me sure, as sure. a person. What is my opinion on that? Well, I'm not a fan. I'm with, I'm with, I'm with MacGyver on this one. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'm one of those guys. <laughs> right? My character, different thing. But me as a person, I'm, I'm, I'm you know what? I'm not a fan. So yeah, I, I mean the whole when they said yeah we, uh, the Second Amendment rights yeah, and everybody jumps to that. But he even points out in a very smart way, yeah you might want to read that. It talks about a well armed militia, you know basically <laughs> not everybody on the street just shooting at each other like it's the Wild West. Ah, uh, again, see how how still poignant that is today, right? When you see when you see people with an AR-15 and AK-47 walking down the street, mm -hmm. yeah, are you in the military? Right. No. So why do you have that much firepower? Yeah. yeah, I know, I know, and it, and that it's allowed too is amazing. Like even hunters, you don't need an automatic to you know. It's not hunting. No, 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 no. Massacre. Exactly. That's a massacre. <laughs> now, you give the deer the gun, too. Yeah, yeah you got some yeah. competition. Balance it out a little bit. And again, I know. Uh, we could, like I said, we I go down that rabbit I know. hole. Me and you. I'm Very just touchy. Like, oh. Very touchy. How, you know? old, how old were you when you got, uh, I believe it was The Challenge was your first episode. Do you remember how old? I'd like to say I was 19. Or twenty? I'm not sure. I was I was still young enough to play teenagers. Yeah, yeah. But a yeah. big teen teenager. I mean, you yes. were not a yeah. small child. You were tall and. Well, I've I've never been a small child. I you know I I've been I grew um, between age of fifteen and sixteen. I literally grew about eight and a half nine inches. Oof. And put on about thirty pounds, but that was deliberate. I. I made a conscious decision. I was I was picked on a lot. I I don't know how much of my history you know, but I was born in I was, I was born in Grenada. Okay. I moved I moved to Canada when I was nine. I had a I had a strong West Indian accent. I came literally time warped from a third world country to a first world country. Wow. <clears throat> yeah. Um, my family was you know we were the only black family in my on my block. I was one of maybe three black kids in my school. There was a lot of picking on and all that. And I was not a very big kid at the time, but then I decided, you know, actually I, I came across an article in Sports Illustrated in my doctor's office and it was about a football player and his workout routine and how, and I was like, I'm doing that. <laughs> and so I kind of grew and I worked out religiously and, and I, I literally, I just sprouted and I had to be a very big kid, but I was still, and somebody pointed it out to me. Even though physically I changed, emotionally and mentally, I was still the kid who got picked on at school, who got beat up in, and after school. And I, I was bullied. 
a lot. And so I endured all of that. And then when I grew physically in stature, I still thought like the kid who got, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so I hadn't made that transition yet. So anyhow, and <clears throat> I get this role and um, I'm reading, my agent said, you know, they want you to come in and read from MacGyver and it's this character named Breeze and it's really fun and he's like a gang leader. And I'm like, no, nothing really about, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I had the physicality for it. I had to sure. go and learn, learn the other thing. The other piece of that is I had no, no concept and no knowledge to draw from. The other roles I played up to Breeze was, again, I played a lot of gang leaders, but I didn't really understand it mm-hmm. and what that life was. I had to go and do some research, mm. right? Because I grew up in, you know, very white suburbia, Canada, <laughs> yeah. right? I didn't know anything about African-American experience and all of that. I had to go up and I started reading a bunch of books and that, you know, act in life kind of led to my my exploration of, you know, what is the black American experience? Because I'm going out to read all these roles that are for inner city black American kids and I don't know anything about them. <laughs> so I went and read a whole bunch of different books and, you know, started reading, you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and Eldridge Cleaver and understanding what, what, what life was like growing up. And then so then I had context to bring to these characters because now I understand because mm-hmm. I didn't understand it as a, kid, a black kid growing up in, in Canada. Sure. I had no context. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so far removed from who I am as a person, but, you know, Thank God. <laughs> right? But, but it's all it's collecting. So I learned, you know, and I, and I had stuff to draw from because now I understand what that experience was like, right? Mm-hmm. So I could bring some, oh, okay, I read, you know, I read this and I read in this book that this is what life is like for them, you know, just going out on the street and how fearful that could be or, you know, how you have to be when a cop car pulls up. I mean, I didn't even know any of that stuff, right? Sure. To this day, it's still... Right, but I understood, and you know, not to go too deep into a rabbit hole, but you're not just a person sometimes when you start to understand what racism is like and what it's like to be, you know, that's the reason why I was being bullied is because it's not because I was a weak kid, it's just because I was other, mm-hmm. I was different, and learning not how not to be angry about that and learning that you know what my, my parents did an excellent job of saying hey you know what people are are fearful because they don't understand mm-hmm. and they're afraid of what they don't know and you know you are different you have a west indian accent they probably never heard that before they don't know where grenada is they don't know they understand our culture you you know so you don't you are different you need to be an ambassador you need to show them that you are not other, you just have you just come from a different background, and they came they they're not they're not native to here, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of so I think I got to be a comedian and a writer and an actor naturally because a lot of my early transition from coming from a third world country to first world country was me being an ambassador, me learning how to be a chameleon in a room, mm. me learning how to shed <clears throat> my West Indian, mm-hmm. right, and becoming more Canadian. I could switch on the fly, where I could turn off the Amer- the West Indian accent and turn on the not the generic American accent, or turn on the Canadian accent. And you know, <clears throat> later on in life, I read an interesting article of, and you know, that said that people 
like me, people who are African American, Canadian American, whatever you want to call it, <coughs> Canadian, African Canadian, which is called code switching. Hmm. We're mas- we're masters of code switching. I can switch. I not only do I I don't I don't just speak Black West Indian. I speak Black Af- African. I speak Black American. I speak Black Canadian. And I speak white. Well, <laughs> and that that leads me to I was going to ask you where did you come up with the breeze voice because it's different than you. Yes, it's it's, it's a 100%. little softer. It's very soft, yet it's got the attitude in it. You know. Well, like I said, when I when I get a script, I immediately write down as I'm reading anything that pops into my head, mm-hmm. right? And as I was reading it, this cadence and this voice came. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Sometimes the character just speaks to you, but the cadence, the voice, the fact that he didn't—he rarely, he very rarely, even when he was angry, very rarely ra- raised his voice. Right. Those are all the things I wrote down. It's still a I whisper. Was, yeah, as I was, and I'm like, oh, those are some good choices. Mm-hmm. That's that's I don't know. I call it the energy of the writer speaking to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's what came to me, and it's the same when I read a book. And I'm sure you know if you read a lot. I read, I read a ton of books, right? Probably mm-hmm. three or four in a week. When I read, you know, you disappear into a book. And you, if it's you, a good one, yeah. <laughs> you hear, you hear, the characters speak a certain way, and you start to do that. And, and in your head, they look, walk, talk, smell, everything, right? It's the same for an actor. Like, that's why I've gotten it in the habit. Like I said, when I'm reading a script, all of those things that, that come to you when you're reading a good story, about what the character, how the character dressed, how he was, how he talked. I write all of that down. And that's where Breeze came from. I wrote it all down. And Breeze, it's funny, actually. And also, Breeze, that, that part came to me. I'd just come back from New York. And I'd been in New York visiting my cousins, who, like me, left, left Grenada. But they, I came to Canada. They went to New York, right? Their, their way of living and acting and talking was different than mine. So I brought all that back to me. So Breeze is probably most most influenced by my cousin Dexter in New York. (laughs) Yeah, right? Because he was, he lived in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's a funny example of how, you know, Breeze is like Dexter. So I'm green as grass. Everything I know about about America and it's particular in New York, I'd even read on the, you know, read read a book or seen in the news. So I arrive to spend some time with them. And I'm terrified because all you've heard about New York is people get mugged and people. Sure. And my cousin Dexter got literally he got shot on his doorstep for his leather jacket. That's Oof. that's his life, right? So I'm terrified. And for the first few days I'm there, everybody's still working and what have you. And so they gave me a key and gave me a you know directions to how to get to the subway. And I didn't leave the house for the first two days. Sure. I'm terrified. I'm not going out in New York by myself. No. But then we go out, and I and he introduced me to his friends, and we're downtown Manhattan, and we're walking. <clears throat> and I, in hindsight, now I remember when it happened, but I'll tell you this: we're walking, and somebody bumped me, and I'm you know whatever. And then we go for lunch. Don comes to pay the bill, and I reach for my wallet, and I can't find it. And my cousin and his friends are killing themselves, laughing. They're not feeling bad for me. They're laughing, and they're like, dude. You are walking downtown in a crowded space, and he pulls my wallet out of his hand and puts it on the table for me. He says, he says, did you not feel me bump you? I said, I felt somebody bump me when we were walking. He goes, that was me. I could have been a pickpocket. 
You had your wallet sticking in your back pocket. I bumped into you, said, excuse me, took your wallet. You didn't even notice. He says, you're not street smart. Wow. <laughs> wow. Breeze is influenced because Breeze has to be street smart. Oh, yeah. Breeze is aware of his surroundings. So if you see me in, in a lot of those scenes where Breeze is he's present, he knows exactly who's around him and what's going on. That's because those boys in New York taught me that. Hmm. Be present in the room. Know who we're, you know, you breeze walk in a room and know, know exactly where the exit was. <laughs> right? Yeah. Right? I learned that in New York from hanging out with those cats whose life is different than mine because I didn't, I didn't have that built-in fear growing up in Canada. And it's amazing <laughs> because breeze is, like you said, everything is still a whisper. Even when he's saying, back off, woman, mm -hmm. he's an intimidating presence. I mean, that's yes. probably the angriest I think we see him get is, you know, because she's pleading to him, help mm -hmm. me, help me, and he yes. shrugs her off. Yes. It's still an intimidating guy. But again, I learned this from those cats in, in New York. It's amazing. Because they're, they're the ones who said to me, dude, you're not even, like, they watched me because they grew up hard. They grew up having to be fearful of the police. They, go, they grew up understanding the racism that was in your face. They, and he said to me, one of, them, one of them said to me, he said, Charles, you are like a gentle giant. He goes, you're a big guy. It takes up a lot of space, but you're not aware of it. And I kind of, when I was reading, you know, the character of Breeze, I was like, he's a big guy physically. He's me. He's a mm -hmm. big guy. He doesn't have to raise his voice to get attention. He doesn't have to shout. His very presence in a room says danger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? So he doesn't have to get angry and yell. And they say sometimes, you know, if you, if you want people to listen, whisper. They're forced, to, they're forced to pay attention. Everything changes. Yeah, Everything you're right. Everything changes. When people yell, they do it with your kids. When you yell at your kids, they tune out. But if you get down to their level and speak to them in a nice, solid, you know, mm -hmm. comfortable voice, you could be angry, mm -hmm. but you want them to be paying attention. So you don't yell. That's true. You whisper. You mm -hmm. speak in a nice, even, and, you know, I used to do it with my son when he was younger and he'd have temper tantrums. He would go up and I would go down. He would yell and I would toss softer. He would yell some more and I'd toss softer. And after a while, he didn't realize it. He kept talking quieter and quieted and quieted because dad was talking quieter and quieted and quieted. And my wife listened. She goes, what did you do? I said, I just psyched him. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I right? didn't know it was that. I know. Yeah. yeah, you're yelling and I'm not yelling. Mm -hmm. So eventually you kind of have to bring your tone down or else you kind of look silly with me, you yelling and me talking in a nice quiet voice. Yeah, so. it's, and it's all control. <laughs> it's being aware of the moment and staying in control because – a lot of people, you yell, well, I'm going to yell because now yeah. we're, it's a battle, but nobody wins. Nobody wins. But if I, you know, there will be no fight if I refuse to fight. <laughs> <laughs> You're fun. <laughs> um, <These are> just... <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to keep you too long, but there's a couple yeah. things I know I want to discuss. Yeah. You're welcome to come back anytime, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, and I love this. This is a nice, good conversation. Um, what I want to remember to ask two things in particular, do you remember the episodes that you tried out for before you got breeze just out of curiosity? 
no. Um, I don't remember what the one was called, but I did. I had two auditions before Breeze, but they were not for characters like Breeze. Sure, sure. Yeah, because one, what's going to yeah. happen is I'm going to go back now, watch the previous episodes, and go. I wonder if that could have been him. Yeah, you know, and, and, and you know, you know what, Mac? I, I have to admit something to you, and I'm, I'm guilty of. Uh. <clears throat> I rarely ever watch my stuff. No, I'm with you. I know that's, that's a common thing. I, I'm a singer-songwriter. I don't listen to my own music because I'm mm-hmm. too familiar with it. Yep. It's the same with all my comedy shows and stuff, and I've toured doing comedy, and I record all of them, but I rarely ever really watch them. Right. <laughs> right. right. I might watch them, you know, or listen to it just a couple of days afterwards. I'm, I, I've never been comfortable watching myself on screen. I also make it a point not to watch shows that I've auditioned for. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That somebody else has gotten. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to see it. Now you're I'll, driving I'll be, yourself <laughs> nuts. I'll be frustrated if you know. Damn it, they made choices. Oh, that's what they were looking for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All right. I know. I'm the and, same way. And I've learned over the years as an actor, being an actor is like go going to the doctor. Except it's a reverse. If you go to the doctor and they do a bunch of tests and they call you, then something's going on. If they don't call you, there's nothing to report. Well, an actor's the same way. When you audition for a part, if they call you, there's something going on. If they don't call you, get on with your life. There's nothing to happen. There's nothing to report. <laughs> That's the other thing, too. Yeah. I, for the acting that I've done, I've been mostly fortunate that I've gotten what I've tried for. Yeah. But I don't envy that. You have to keep going out. and You have to keep auditioning. And you're not, you may want something, but you may not get it. That's, I admire you and people who can continue uh, to do that. As I tell my, my, my son who wants to be an actor and my wife tries to understand what it's like to be married to an actor, auditioning is what actors do. That is the work of yes. what we do. Yes, yeah. Right? That's, that's, you know, that's leaving your calling card. And every time I get an opportunity to be in the room, it's not just me auditioning for that part. It's me leaving a calling card because I have a lot of stuff on my resume that I did not audition for directly. But I got a phone call. My agent would call. Hey, they want to book you. And I said, I did not. He goes, no, you didn't audition. But you auditioned for this director three months ago on something. He remembered you. You weren't right for that one, but he thinks you're right for this. And he's not even going to audition you. It's yours if you want it. That's wonderful. That's a gift. (laughs) Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. So again, I say to, you know, when when I'm talking to other actors who are frustrated with the auditioning process, I'm like, dude. If you don't love auditioning, you're in the wrong business because that's what we do. Yeah. That's our job. Once you book it, that's gravy. Then it's day camp for adults. And it's, seriously, I've been blessed. I mean, you know, the MacGyver people, the the producer, just how classy these guys are. I have letters downstairs that I that I have to frame still from Henry Winkler, yeah. Michael Greenberg, Richard Dean Anderson. After every episode, I got a letter thanking me for being on their show. Oh, <laughs> I love that, that is class. Yeah, that is. Thank you. I, you, know, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scan a couple of them and send them to you just so you can see. Like, Rich, I have, I have a letter love that. from Henry Winkler thanking me for coming on the show and, and being in part of the episode and the gun or being, you know, and blah, 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 and how great it was. And I'm like, wow. Like that's, that to me, that yeah. to me is, is, is the epitome of class. And you meet people who conduct and compote themselves with integrity. And I've learned from these guys. I've learned from – I mean – 
Richard Dean Anderson. I've had the, the great pleasure. I worked with him. You probably didn't know this. I did, I did MacGyver with him. Mm-hmm. I did Stargate with him. Mm-hmm. And I did a movie with him called The Spiral Staircase. <laughs> Spiral Staircase? Yeah. It's, uh, the, the name has changed quite a few times. I but, think it, um, yeah. yeah. Because I, I, I guarantee I own it, but I don't know what it would be called now. I'll have to look and see, and I'll send you an email with that. But anyhow, I got to work with him. And every single time, I mean, he's a big star. Yeah. Humble. Charles, you know, welcome aboard. Thank you for coming out. It's great to see you again. No ego, no, hey, this is my show. This is my movie. None of that. And I've worked with others who shall remain nameless. Right. Been the complete opposite. And what a difference it is when you work with people, like I said, who have integrity, who, who are grounded, and who are just happy to be doing what they do and with no ego attached to it, right? Yeah. The entire cast and crew, like I'd never I, – everybody was always warm and friendly. The writers, the producers, they were all just so – we just happy to be working on something together, mm-hmm. happy to be doing – and, you know – I'm glad that I have more experiences like that than mm-hmm. the opposite where you're on a show with somebody who won't even shake your hand or, or make eye contact. I'm not going to get name names, but I've had that experience. Yep. And you're like, seriously? It, you know, it's not necessary. And it makes a difference. I mean, that, that makes you love the person forever. But also, you know, they, they remember you. You get yeah. to – that yeah, was we, my question. Did you – with Stargate? Did they remember you? Because a lot of the same people were involved. A lot of the same people were involved. A lot of the, you know, and yeah. Is that how same. you got that part? Yeah, yeah. You show up. And then again, um, I, I am, <clears throat> I'm a journeyman actor. Mm-hmm. I have no desire to be a star. Right. So I'll show up on your project and say three lines. I'll show up and say three paragraphs. I don't care. I'm a Canadian actor on a movie set. Big smile on my face, grin and ear to ear. So when, when I got the call, you know, the first time I was on Stargate, and, you know, I was like, absolutely, Charles, it's not really a big role, but they like you over there. Don't even have to audition. Boom. What day am I working? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And I was a big fan of Stargate. Like, seriously? You know, and I know, you know, I knew, I knew Richard, I'd, I'd worked with Amanda before I'd worked with Michael before I know Michael's wife, um, uh, Christopher judge who played a uh, teal and I, you know, Chris judge knew, I knew Chris before he was Chris. Yeah. 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 <laughs> right. So just to be, it was, you know, and a lot of the episodes were, were directed by Peter DeLuise that I worked on and Sweet I worked, with, and I worked with Peter DeLuise on 21 jump street. So, right, we all knew it's a small circle. So it's like going home and hanging out with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> right? And I don't, you know, whether I'm the guest star or the guy who's doing, you know, whatever, mm-hmm. they're all, they were all, they treated everybody the same. There was no hierarchy. There was no, it was just, you know, Amanda is just, oh, God, I love her. Yeah. I will work with her any day, any time if she's listening to this, any day, any time. Yep. Classy, classy, classy lady. And fun. Comes up, fun, classy, remembers you. She hasn't seen you in six months, and you show up on set, and you're, you know, and she comes over and hugs you, and hey, it's so good to see you. And here's the thing that she has that my wife has that a lot of people don't have. Hey, last time I saw you, we were talking about Bubba. You haven't seen me in six months, and you, how did that work out? What? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was a throwaway conversation we had, you know, at craft services. And six months later, you're like, hey, I haven't seen you. How did that work out? Or, 
that's a gift. My that's wife wonderful. has that. My that's wife has that's that a cut gift. above. Yeah, a cut above. Like just, you know. So yeah, I I will work with any of those people again. Yeah, I hope you do. Yeah, because you know? the rumor is there. I mean, we're it's, like, you know. 11 clicks to 12 that we're getting a new Stargate series, I pray to God. I've heard that. I've yeah. heard that as well. You Which know, baffles he- me that it, it didn't happen 10 years ago. That was a show that never should have went off the air. That show had so much potential and so much legs. And I was a big, not just as an actor, I was a big fan. I'm a big, I'm a big sci-fi guy. And I watched the original, you know, Stargate movie and went, wow. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever, if you, you know, Peter Williams. Yeah. Right? yeah yeah peter williams and i are good friends and you know and i was like apophis apophis i wanted that role <laughs> right <laughs> but he well, he, he wanted chris's role so that's kind of funny yeah i also wanted teal's role too but chris i mean some people it's like the role was written specifically for them you know what i right. mean like some people step into a role and then you can't see anybody else play yeah. in that role teal that's Chris. I mean, Chris is a big. I don't know if you've ever seen him, met him I've, in person. Oh yeah, I've, I've met most of them. I only ha- I still have yet to meet Amanda, but I yeah. can say I've had the pleasure of meeting just about everybody else. Yeah, and Chris. Well, you see, he's a big boy. Like I'm a big guy, but Chris is uh, oh, big, way like, up yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, and such a unique stature and a unique look to him. Like you go, yeah. I can't see anybody else playing Teal. Like, mm-hmm. you know, some people just step into a role and it's theirs. They wear it like a second skin. And he's like, you know, nobody else can play that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah. I'd like to think nobody else can play Breeze, but that's well, just my clear. <laughs> <laughs> Thus why you're here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm going to let you go, but I, I swear to God. Oh, was in the movie that you were in with Rick, was he playing a bad guy? No, he plays a carpenter. He's a good guy. Yeah, that's guy. a bad guy. That's Eyes of a Killer. It became yeah. Oh, Eyes they changed Oh, it changed the name. With okay. Mark Helgenberger. Yes, yes, right? Yes. And he had yes. the dark black hair. I knew yes. that was the one. Yeah, he, <laughs> he ends up being a killer. Uh, dude, you know, they, they change the names of movies all the time, and it's like, I can't keep up. Yeah. Well, hey, I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah. I still have it on my resume. I think it's on my IMDb as the spiral staircase, but you know. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, yeah, when you get a chance, send me those letters and what I'll I do will. Is I will. I'll use them in the credits so that people could see them. But plus, I would just, I'll shed a tear reading them because. Not a problem. I'll like you said, that good people are much more important than a good show. Yeah. Well, right? we all, you know, from my point, point of view, when I, like I said this before, when I'm on a movie set, we're just here to tell a little story. Mm-hmm. We are not. You're not you curing know, cancer. You're just yeah. We're, you know, there are, people, there are people out there doing things that are much, much more poignant and important, you know, frontline. I have a lot of frontline workers on, in my family, right? Mm-hmm. Because of them, I get to do what I do. Right. Yeah. I have I have I have cousins that are EMTs in New York. I have I have nurses, I have doctors, teachers. Right? They're 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 doing they're doing God's work. I was just about to say they're doing God's work, yeah. And I, because of them, get to do what I do. Yes. So why should I have why would I have an attitude? Why would I not be you know, get up in the morning and step out in the world, be grateful. Yeah. And know that you are not more important than the next guy. Because everybody is doing something that's important, that's a piece of the puzzle that create the culture and the ethos and the ecosystem that we live in. Mm-hmm. 
There's no room for ego. There's no room for attitude. There's just, there's more room for gratitude. Be thankful that you get to do what you do. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. You know, I'm um, always grateful. So what was the, what were you working on? You said you were working last night. I, I want to give I, you a, a, a put, you know, some buzz I, about what's I, coming up. Well, I can give you a little bit of, you know, I'm working on a film. I actually have the lead in it. It's called The Surrogate. Ooh. Um, and it's a very interesting story. It's um, when you think a surrogate, you think someone giving birth to somebody else. But no, it's about a young man who didn't have a relationship with his father. He's about to become a dad and wants to wants to rebuild that relationship. So he hires me to be his surrogate father mm-hmm. to stand in, so he could say to all the things that he's always wanted to say to his father mm-hmm. and didn't have a relationship with to get that out. And it's a lot of crying. <laughs> yeah yeah That's but again good again stuff. you know good again it's I'm, I'm i feel very blessed and fortunate because the director of this i'd worked with him on another film and he was the he was the cameraman in our film and then oh. he's getting he's getting actually making his directorial debut and he pinged me on social media and says charles i really enjoyed working with you i got the script i'm directing and I'd love you to love for you to you know to play the part of Daryl. So I said, sure, I'm happy. You know, let me know when you want to want me to come and audition. Thinking, and he goes, no, no, no. You're it's the guy. yours if you're the guy. I'm like, wow. So he sends me the script, and I'm like, I'm reading it, and I'm crying. Oh, it's so poignant. And yeah, so yeah, we're in the middle of filming that now, and uh, I've got a couple more days to go um, next month, and then uh, yeah, hopefully it'll be out and it'll be good. So. How's it been filming during the pandemic? <sighs> Different. Yeah. Yeah, smaller crew, no craft services, you know, wear a mask um, and until you're actually, you know, on set and the camera's rolling and take your mask off and hide it kind of thing. It's just different. Yeah, it's it's a different it's a surreal experience, Mm. you know, because you, you know, you want to hug people. Right. <laughs> right. And you can't even shake hands. <laughs> that sucks. And a lot of the people on this was um, he brought a lot of the crew and some of the cast from the last movie we did. So I know all these people. And so you show up for the table read, and we're all spaced out, and you want to go around, and, man, I've seen you in months, and I want to hug you. And you yeah. can't. You can't even, you know, you're doing Just the elbow. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, I've, I've gone to Wakanda forever. Ooh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, a tribute to my boy Chadwick. You know, as a, as a comic now. book guy myself. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So I'll show up and you know, I'm like, you know, <laughs> and those who get it, get it. And those who don't, don't. <laughs> and at least they'll know it's a hug. It, it exactly. still shows it's a it shows hug. It shows, it shows love, man. Like I said, start first, seek to do no harm, right? Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me let you go and keep me uh, apprised of when the movie comes out. Will do. Because I'll, you know, promote the heck out of it on the Facebook page and everything else. Will do. And uh, we'll keep in touch. Excellent, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure, buddy. Thanks for the great conversation. No worries. Take Talk care. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. The MacGyver Podcast is part of the Forever Adventure Network. Some original artwork by Joseph Arnold. Donations can be made at Patreon to Mac Jackson. Look for our group pages on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at MacGyver Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And remember, stay creative, everyone.
the Forever Adventure Network. Welcome to the adventure. The world is a confusing, stressful, and often frightening place. And we each have our own unique coping mechanisms that help us get by. Some people will tell you that when life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade. No, that's terrible advice. Just randomly getting free fruit is extremely suspicious. Haven't you heard of Snow White? That's actually uh, a really good point. It's usually not a great idea to consume anything if you're not totally sure what's in it. If you're the type of person who copes with discomfort by making strange jokes and who enjoys losing yourself in a creepy and sometimes bloody mystery, please join us for our dark comedy podcast, Studying Scarlet. We alternate weekly between true crime and fictional crime, and we even take listener requests for episode topics. So if you too have a morbid sense of humor, we'd love to welcome you into our weird, quirky, and sometimes disturbing world. Studying Scarlet is available on your favorite podcast app, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We can't wait to meet you. Please subscribe today. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs... There's original music by Harmony Constant, two podcasts. One is the MacGyver podcast, where we celebrate Richard Dean Anderson, his iconic roles, and how it's influenced our lives. There's episode discussions, interviews, and life conversations. The second podcast is the Never Gets Old podcast, where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life, from TV, movies, music, and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure.